Welcome to Music Crush, a new music podcast hosted by the Flute New Music Consortium. I'm Nicole Reiner. And I'm Elizabeth Robinson. And announcing FNMC Presents, an album of previous commissions and competition winners performed by members of the Flute New Music Consortium. Repertoire includes works by Sean O'Pevolo, Joseph Hallman, Becca Sims, Cherie Slider, and others. Purchase a copy today. All proceeds go directly to FNMC. Flute New Music Consortium, Inc. is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Your contributions are tax deductible to the extent allowed by the law. Visit www.flutenewmusicconsortium.com for details. So, Nicole, we just talked to Ellen Harrison. What have you learned? I really got a kick out of Ellen. There's like a little saltiness there. She's super real. She's very, um, she's very down to earth and very relatable. I love talking and, to her. And you found out she's from Northern Illinois. Yes. Well, I did. I mean, anytime I see the town of Streeter, which uh, is not that far from where I grew up, but anytime I see that in a bio, I, I remember that because it's a rare occurrence. Yeah. I really enjoyed listening to that particular moment of bonding. Should we take a listen? Sure. Let's do it. We are here today with composer Ellen Harrison, whose works have been widely shared by a diverse range of performers such as Atonal, Cincinnati Soundbox, Earplay, Left Coast Chamber Ensemble, the Lydian String Quartet, Octagon, Parnassus, the San Francisco Contemporary Music Players, and the Society for New Music. Her music emphasizes a deep sonic realm full of texture and contrasting moods. Her tone can be both serious and jocular, juxtaposing impetuous activity with infernal, infernal calm at multiple levels, presenting an extraordinary variety of textures, melodic materials, and expressive gestures. More recently, Ellen Harrison was one honored as the winner of the 2021 FNMC Composition Competition for her piece, Beneath a Canopy of Wings for Flute and Clarinet. Welcome, Ellen. Oh, thank you. Good to be here. We're so glad to have you. And even more relevantly, we're so excited to hear you talk about your, your piece, Beneath a Canopy. Where did you find the inspiration and how did that collaboration come to be? Um, I often find inspiration from a friend of mine's poems, uh, Norman Finkelstein. He was a professor at Xavier University here in Cincinnati for many years. And I, I just really love his poetry and he's very kind about it. Let's me take anything I want. So um, the title Beneath a Canopy of Wings is from one of, I think all of the texts are actually from his book called Restless Messengers. And believe me, someday I'm going to write a piece called Restless Messengers. I just haven't done it yet. I think that's already very evocative. And um, yeah, so that was pretty much the inspiration. And um, well, the last movement I wrote in, in um, memory of a, fr a friend's mother. It was really oh. a good friend of mine. Her mother was a good friend of mine, too. So was there anything in particular that drew you to uh, Mr. Finkelstein's poetry? Well, you know what he said to me one time, he said that he was a um, a romantic modernist. Now, I don't know what that would be in poetry. And I thought about it and I thought, you know, I think I could say that about myself. I don't think that my works are really all that modern, but they seem to be more modern than a lot of people. But at the same time, I'm very melodic. And so... 
you know, that seems kind of more like a romantic kind of thing. I don't know. I just like his imagery. And, um, you know, I don't understand everything all the time either. And that's not a bad thing because then you're kind of just whatever impression you have and you, you go with it. And I don't know, I, I can't really explain it. I think he, I mean, he's definitely into Jewish mysticism, which I don't understand at all, having not been part of that culture, but I think I find that sort of really intriguing, I guess. Cool. Oh, sorry. Did you want about the collaboration, right? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, I, I did. I that. do. Okay. So Lizzie Darling, first of all, she, uh, her husband was in a class I taught at CCM called the Composition Practicum. And he's a um, tuba player and euphonium player, I should really say. And he was such a nice guy. I really enjoyed meeting him. And he was, and he and, and Lizzie were going to get married very soon, or maybe they already were married. And But she wasn't at CCM yet. And so he took this class and we became friends. And then she came to CCM for school and took the class too. And then we became friends. It was really fun. She did my solo flute piece one time uh, with a dancer, also a friend of mine who had lived in Japan for many years. So that um, she did a, Lizzie played the piece while, which kind of sounds a little shakuhachi like, right? Mm -hmm. And um, the woman wore a kimono, a real kimono and danced, did modern dance to it. So, you know, we just all really got to be friends. And then I got to know the clarinetist, also just a former student of mine started a new music group and they decided they wanted to have solo pieces and solo clarinet pieces, as a matter of fact. So um, I had one. So they, and I, so I got to know Andrea through that. And then the two of them were in a group, uh, Duo Cylindra, mm -hmm. and they wanted to make a CD. And so then they asked me to write a piece. They, you know, they asked a bunch of people to write pieces. And so that's how it came about. Lucky me, I tell you. <laughs> it's really awesome to get to work with people that you enjoy. Uh, do you find that you often work with uh, former students? Not always, but some of it has come about that way, yes. Uh -huh. um, of course, now I'm forgetting any other thing that came about that way, but um, most often through people I know. Sure. You know. That's really lovely. Well, as we were preparing for this interview with you, um, I discovered that there was a second version of Beneath the Canopy for flute and piccolo. Uh, and Nicole and I have talked to so many different composers about their feelings about deviating from an original version of a piece. What's it like to rework a piece for a slightly different instrumentation? Um, and do you maybe have a favorite version or am I allowed to ask? Oh, I've never really, I've never heard the other one. I only did that because somebody online was asking for people to submit duos for flute and piccolo. And then when I tried, so I, you know, I honestly, I haven't even looked at it in a long time. So, but I know it does diverge. I don't think it's the same, but you know, it's probably pretty similar. Right. Um, but I just thought, Oh, well, I'll do that. And um, then when I tried to do it, I couldn't get the link to work. So I just I gave up on it, but I still put it online, you know, you never know, maybe somebody would want to do it. And, uh, but I don't, I, I think it's kind of fun to rework pieces, but it has backfired on me too. Um, Cause you've got the, you don't have a blank page when you start, right? Sure. So, you know, there's not that stress and you're kind of like, oh yeah, but then it doesn't work. So I have a series uh, that I originally called Solitude. I originally wrote it for cello. I then um, was invited by a student, once again, to go to a festival in Texas, and but it was for violists. And I said, I, you know, I don't have time to write a viola piece in three weeks, but I'll rework this one. Um, 
I think I kept reworking it. I think he just needed to have me submit it. And and then I also did it for another a composition student of mine, uh, high school, you know, since fifth grade, actually. No, sixth grade, actually. Um, is a violinist. And when he graduated from high school, and he uh, wanted to put on a concert on his, you know, like senior recital, he wanted to put on a piece for me. And I, once again, I said, I don't have time to rewrite, you know, write a new one, but I'll make this for you. So the last time I did it for Devil Bass, it backfired. It really didn't work. <laughs> it's just a too big, too, too, you know, it's just kind of a lumbering instrument. Right. And, the, and that's the sort of like runs and stuff. Just so I, I messed up there, but <laughs> live and learn. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, it taught me a lot about what not to do. That's for sure. Sometimes the best way to learn is the hard way. Yeah. Oh, sorry of my life. <laughs> so your bio has a few reviews that I feel like just really hit the nail on the head. I One of the things I love about your music is that each piece has its own unique sound world. Um, there's works about wings. There are works about landscapes. And we even found one about an international salad bar. Um, could oh, you yeah. talk a little bit about <laughs> what inspires you the most? Oh, the most. I don't know. I was thinking about that. And I feel like it's hard for me to choose between text and image, because a lot of the time I've always thought of myself as a visual composer. But then lately, I have been starting to be more influenced by text. But then I usually get a, get an image in my mind from it. So, you know, uh, not always, but often. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody's process is so different. I'm just fascinated by what sort of lights up uh, an individual composer's creative energy, you know? Well, so right now I'm just finishing an orchestra piece and I will be very glad when that's finished because it was supposed to be finished a half a year ago. The name of it is at the intersection between, forget it, I'll, I'll look it up and tell you. But the point is it was out of a review. No, it wasn't even a review. There, I get these poetry emails sent to me and I and I look at them most days and a poet had descri described his poem. I got it, at the intersection of veil and reveal. Hmm. I know, doesn't that sound cool? But it's very abstract, right? It could be anything. But then I saw all the textures of the orchestra sort of like sometimes, and I could I could see it then once again, sort of in my head textures that are sometimes all kind of foggy how you can be with an orchestra and then at other times something coming through that and and some sections sort of dovetailing whereas other sections were inner you know cut off and dramatic so I don't know that might be one that is a little bit more word oriented but um I still was seeing things in my head so Anyway. Did those words come from somewhere? Is that a, another? Poem? Oh, that was that. Yeah, that, that was not even the poem. That was actually the author talking about the poem. And I don't honestly, I don't even think I kept the poem, which is a terrible, <laughs> terrible thing. <laughs> Stealing somebody's words and then not even remembering who it is. I'll have to look in my poetry file because I'm always copying things and throwing them in there. <laughs> So we've got poetry and we've got a description of poetry, um, but I'm just, I'm really fixated on the salad bar piece. Can oh, you sure. Tell us everything you remember about where okay. that came from. It's a great story, actually. Um, I was up in the north of Germany uh, with my husband 
son and mother-in-law because they're they're German. And so uh, we were at the Baltic Sea and we went out to a restaurant and ended up being one of those kind of snooty restaurants um, where they have the, well, I mean, yes, doesn't, don't have to be snooty to have a leather uh, menu holder, but, you know, they, they certainly acted that way. And the funniest thing about it is, well, they weren't very nice. And I ordered uh, just an appetizer, uh, some noodles with, uh, I think they're called, porcini, not porcini mushrooms. I forget the kind of mushroom it is, but um, it's a specialty up there. And it was full of sand, my thing was. And I was so intimidated by, yeah, you know, they just didn't clean the mushrooms well enough. And I was so intimidated by the people. Of course, I didn't say anything. And well, they had this very flowery menu and a seasonal splash of color, a treat for the senses, <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, you and your seasonal splash of color and you give me sandy food and you're not very nice. So I just took the menu. I shouldn't even say that. I mean, my husband said, take the menu. I didn't take the weather or anything. I just took the photocopy that was inside. So I, did, I thought I could do, do that and get away with it. And I thought I'm going to do something with that. So anyway. Then Ellen Ruth Rose from Earplay said to me, hey, Ellen, you should write a piece for Todd and I, Todd and me. And I and I said, oh, I'd love to. And and I thought, aha, and I have this menu and I've been wanting to use it. And that's perfect. And uh, that's how it came about. <laughs> so <laughs> I had a lot of fun with that. That was really good. Oh, and, you know, of course, uh, one thing's kind of sad, but. Um, the tomato salad was uh, Stettiner Art. I don't know. I, I can't really pronounce Stettin. I think is the name they, they call the city in in German. Um, it's Stettin or something like that in Polish. But that was the first town in Poland where Jews were taken from. So I was like, oh, you know, I didn't know that beforehand. But I just looked, at, you know, looked up the town because I thought, well, what is Stettiner way of making a salad? And I thought, wow, well, that's kind of terribly sad so that gave me kind of an inspiration to write a very sad movement sure you know but the others most of them are you know dandelion salad you know you're gonna make it spiky and fun and um you know the first one Pomerini garden that the, there's so much wind up there that i just wanted to write something with lots of fast notes and you know kind of flick flicking off you know for a rest and that kind of thing so um yeah it was fun <laughs> Oh, and Ellen Ruth Rose and I kept saying that share the same first two names too. That's why, you know, it's like, oh yeah, hey Ellen Ruth, the other one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we noticed that you've got a handful of works for the flute. Is there anything mm. you especially like about writing for the flute? Uh, and then on the flip side, is there anything that you find particularly challenging about using that instrument as your medium? <laughs> no. I was a flutist. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, I started in school in the fourth grade and um, my dad played flute too. And then I went to college and I wanted to music ed for a year and a half and then I changed. And that was probably a huge mistake. You know, you have to learn all the instruments for music ed, right? Why right. did I, you know, but I wasn't really thinking. I just really wanted to study theory and composition. And um, so I switched. Um, but um, yeah, so. I was middle of the road flute player, you know, never anything like you guys. So, <laughs> but as a result, I know 
in my solo flute piece, there's this one spot that doesn't, it's not good for finger. You know, it's like two notes. It's not the end sure. of the world. But most of the time I can make sure that it sits well, right? Sure. Um, and sometimes if it doesn't, I will have done it on purpose, you know, because I would always play through it. I haven't really played my own work since I went to UC Berkeley. Sure. Because, I, you know, we moved to Cincinnati and, you know, there's this conservatory here with, you know, so many really good flute players. It was like, well, yeah, and Berkeley didn't have a conservatory attached. So all of a sudden I was a star and I was like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was middle of the road at Illinois, University of Illinois. <laughs> I know, but whatever. I just played a lot. So, and that was fun. But um, so, I mean, building off of that, Ellen, uh, what, what was the experience like, if you can reach back into the annals of your memory when you were playing your works more? I mean, were, were there challenges to wearing both hats, being the composer and the performer or advantages? I know, I don't think so. But I mean, I think it's just a lot easier than to get something performed, right? And then you're sure. with performers more and stuff. So, no, it wasn't that. I actually wrote a lot for flute at first because I felt most comfortable with it too. But at some point I actually stopped writing for flute for a while because I was always giving the flute the best parts <laughs> and it was a little unfair. As a matter of fact, my solo flute piece is really a rewrite of a piece for flute and countertenor that someone had asked me to write. And it was like this little bit of countertenor going on. And now that flute was jumping all over the place. <laughs> and one of my professors said, hmm, you know, you really, it should maybe be more equal. And that's, you know, so I just kind of gave up on the whole countertenor thing and, and sort of stitched it together and wrote some new stuff and, you know, but, but then, yeah, I got back to it and it was so, I just was so glad to, and I'm not going to, and I think I've learned in the meantime, you really have to share the, the wealth, you know, give everybody in a, in a group a chance to have something fun to play, right? Sure. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I like I like your flute favoritism. But. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're not the first person we've talked to. You're not the first composer we've talked to that mentions the the um, deficiency in in a typical composer's education in terms of knowing how to play all the instruments. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, it, 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 of course it makes perfect sense that you were focusing on flute for a while because that was, that was a comfortable place where you could really yeah. explore your voice. Um, in lieu of taking all those methods classes, all those wonderful, probably tedious methods classes that you didn't take <laughs> when you switched out of music ed, um, what did you do to try to kind of beef up your understanding of other instruments so that that didn't keep you from writing what you wanted to write? Oh my gosh, I'm such a bad mother. I had my son learn violin and, you know, he was in a pretty <laughs> intensive program. It helped so much. <laughs> you outsourced. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yeah, I was really bad. But I mean, you know, so for example, I still don't feel as comfortable writing for cello as far as just fingering mm -hmm. skill, but I actually know how to do the fingerings on the violin. Now I can't do it. I, took but you know I took violin with him for about two months and there was like no way you know <laughs> I couldn't even keep up with him you know and that's pretty sad not really sad he, I think I made him practice more than I practiced right yeah and other than that um really just t talking with the performers um I'm pretty comfortable with clarinet oh I'm comfortable with oboe you know because I've written for him and and then people have pretty much let me know what wasn't so good. Right. And um, I would say I'm not still not comfortable enough with bassoon from, from my own 
you know, well, what I'm saying. Um, yeah. Plus, I kind of tend high, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, right. not so great for the the soon parts. So, um, yeah, and grass, I'd say I'm probably not good enough. I mean, you know, I mean, in other words, I haven't written enough for him. So sure, I don't great. mean, I just mean like I, I need to get over that hump still. Sure. I have written for Euphonium, though. <laughs> nice. I wrote a solo piece for Lizzie Darling's husband. So. Uh, I was just going to ask. Um, we've noticed that you seem to have a knack for connecting with ensembles, particularly new music ensembles. Um, do you have any tips for up and coming composers or performers who are trying to find the the right pairing of performer and composer? Um, what makes a collaboration attractive to you as a composer? Oh, well, definitely the chance to work with somebody and have them tell you what isn't working. And actually, you know, I mean, I'm not always open to people giving me suggestions. Sure. So, so my solo cello piece, I wrote it for a former high school student. You know, I mean, I taught theory and, or I still do teach theory and musicianship um, for the Starling program at CCM and on Saturdays. And one of the, there was a cellist from the program and I asked him if I could write him a piece. He was in grad school for cello and I thought he's so good. And I thought I've got to ask him. And, you know, he's also a family friend. I'm friends with his parents. And, um, he said, yeah. So when he was home on like, you know, Christmas break and stuff, um, we would get together and, and he did make a suggestion. Of course, a few years later, he said, oh, why did I tell you to do this? It's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> but um, doable, obviously, because he, he's played it. And so so is someone else. But um, so, I, yeah, I mean, it's not easy to ask people that you don't know. So, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't even know if I've done that ever but I've managed to you know make friends with people and a lot of it is you know word of mouth but I do think that what's so important is to um go places and meet people so when I went down for my students festival in in um Texas one of the pianists that was working at that heard my piece we were talking and then uh later on I she was in the voices of change and so I actually sent them a piece saying I like I think I asked her because she had mm-hmm. given me her email I said can I can I send you this and she was and that's how I got a performance so you really do have to go to things okay in order to meet people and then remember to stay in touch sure. um, or you know even if you don't remember I mean people are pretty gracious honestly Right. And and then also, you know, yeah, your friends, make sure you keep it, you know, ask people that you're if you're in school who you're studying, with, you know, to play your piece. A lot of people get really lucky and somebody makes has a career and then they take it all around and stuff. So other than that, I'm not really sure. <laughs> but I think I think connections are really the biggest part of it. Oh, yeah. Or like applying for things like yours. Right. I mean, you guys have been wonderful. So. OK. Networking. It all comes down to networking. I guess. And I'm probably not like probably the worst example of it, but yeah, I do think it is that. <laughs> Obviously not. Obviously not the worst example. Yeah, it is. It is such a funny business because we do so much work in isolation, but that, that social, that social aspect is crucial. I've really yeah. enjoyed that you've, you've mentioned at least two pieces that you've sort of built connections through your work in the, at the CCM program. Um, so it's oh, yeah. your own. Oh, own there's more than that. Content. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I wrote a, I wrote a vocal piece for that little group that, who, that I, I talked about that I, that do the new music and the, uh, um, 
early music and I met one of the singers at CCM. Yeah, for sure. So I, but you know what? I don't think I asked her. I mean, I didn't ask to write that. They asked me to do that, but I heard her sing at some other event and I, um, and she was with a friend of mine and I, that night was just kind of like, I went up and I told them how great. And I said, I would love to write a piece for you sometime. And she was ha- happy to hear that. So, you know, yeah, that's how, and then since then I've written two pieces for her as well as then uh, they, the, her, this group asked me to, that she's in asked me to write one. So. Well, that kind of brings us to my next question, which is what's okay. on your workbench now? Um, any collaborations you'd like to share with us? Well, I'm finishing this orchestra piece. I'm, I just thought, I think it's, I thought it was finished and then I took one last, you know, kind of like run through and I was like, mm, maybe not, <laughs> but it's really close. And after that, I, unfortunately, I don't have anything for flute coming up yet, but I am going to try to do it, you know, maybe, I don't know if I'll be able to do it by the summer, but somebody asked me to write a solo cello piece. Oh. And I was thinking, I already have two, but (laughs) (laughs) so she wants to do a CD and it's somebody that teaches at Miami University near her. And oh, wow. Right now I'm actually just her daughter just joined my theory class. So once again, there's these connections, you know, she's going to do a CD of music by women composers. So I'm going to work on that. And then um, I have this song that I wrote during the pandemic for an old a friend from my hometown that I've met. Oh, my gosh. Always put your hometown in your bio. I'm from a very obscure little hometown. Sorry, I'm getting off topic here, but I went to a concert of vocalists because I sing in a kind of a community choir and our conductor was getting together another choir uh, with kind of professionals and I wanted to go be supportive. And I read the bio of the singers and there it is, Kate Tomboy, born in Streeter, Illinois. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is can't be real. I'm from Streeter, Illinois. It's, a t- you know, 15,000 <laughs> people at best, right? She's way, you know, way younger than I am, but it turns out she went to school at CCM and she was here in town and, you know, she asked me to write a piece for there. She started this summer camp, asked me to write a piece for the inaugural thing. So I went up to her, of course, because I'm like, oh my gosh, hello. It turns out that her mother was the organist at the church where my grandmother was the organist. So aren't these fun things? Anyway, I'm so sorry. I got off. I don't remember where we were going with that. Oh, right, right, right. Sorry. I wrote her a, I wrote her a song during the pandemic for a group here in town. And I think it needs to have a couple more because singers always want sets. But I don't necessarily have to do that right away. So if I come up with an idea for flute, I might just do that too. <laughs> uh, but I think maybe flute and violin might be something to try. Right? I Do you all have a lot of interest in trios or do flutists usually like to do duos? Um, it's easier to get together it varies depending on what the situation is I think my favorite is is quartets you know just personally but then looking Uh, around with four flutes personally but then like I was getting ready to say looking around my campus it's a lot easier to do a duet with a single student so it just (laughs) depends on circumstances and and who happens to be standing around at any given moment yeah and there are some beautiful flute trios I mean that could be a really a really nice combination you mean as in three flutes or or with other instruments Mm -hmm. oh well I guess both I was thinking three flutes but some great flute cello piano stuff flute violin piano stuff as Mm -hmm. well I'm sure as you know you know you you apologized for getting off topic but it's funny that you brought up Streeter Illinois because I kind of wanted to talk to you about that Um, I saw that in your bio and I am also from (laughs) a 
as small and uh, very unglamorous town in Illinois. I mean, Streeter's pretty glamorous. Don't get me wrong. But oh my gosh, what? And I and I saw that. <laughs> I saw that, and um, and I am always interested to talk to other people who come from, you know, I don't, for lack of a better term, not fancy backgrounds. You know, it's yeah, just oh, a good totally. blue collar town with a, a public school band program, and right, exactly. You know, my first teacher was a trumpet player. Yeah, yeah. Mine was a clarinet player and he didn't do as much damage as I, I, I would think he would. But but you know, you you come from these places and um and you end up doing this, you know, very, very refined and, and extremely mm, yeah. academic uh work, you know, but just, just coming from, you know, street or public school band or New Lennox is where I'm from, public school band, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, do you how did you get into composition? Did you get it? Did you get a chance to really explore that at all before you got to college? And no way. Have you ever experienced, you know, I feel like that I have colleagues who are like me and I have colleagues who whose parents were musicians and who started cello when they were three and who grew up right. in Manhattan, you know, and there there always feels like a little bit of a divide. I, I can get along with those colleagues. We're friends, but um, there are times when I open my mouth and I say something just very painfully, New Lenox, Illinois, I guess. And I just, oh, yeah. like, so oh, you, I do, do that all the time. That? It's, it's such a funny thing in classical music. Oh, definitely. I mean, I didn't even know the word imposter syndrome until somebody mentioned it on Facebook this past fall. And I thought, oh mm-hmm. yes, that's me all over the, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, because I mean, I didn't know any music theory until I, well, maybe I, I knew I knew what chords were and stuff like that, but I didn't really know anything when I went to school. And, um, but I loved it. And I went to like a junior band camp. No, just any, I don't know. In junior high, I went to band camp at the University of Illinois and I, it was so eye opening. We played um, Strauss, uh, Rosenkavier Waltzes for band. And I was like, oh my gosh there's actually real music. I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't call it real music, but there was like something other than, you know, whatever the usual marching band stuff that I played mm-hmm. yeah. usually. So, um, yeah, I, well, so I, I, so I started in music ed and I, I really didn't make any of these connections that I was talking about as an undergrad. Cause I felt that I was a terrible composer. So I was really, you know, kind of, intimidated but um yeah and I think that to some degree that it stuck with me but that's actually I mean started to dissipate because I finally allowed myself to be melodic that was one of the big problems I went to school in the 70s when University of Illinois was full of very experimental kind of composers and then I went to school in Germany and at one of my recitals or one of the recitals it wasn't just mine I heard somebody say, and I'm sure he said it so I could hear him behind my back, you can't write music like that anymore, you know, and, you know, you just kind of like go, oh, okay, well, whatever. (laughs) And so then I went to UC Berkeley and I was going to be avant-garde, you know, and then that was a total failure. And after one semester, I realized, no, guess not. (laughs) Peace was really awful. Uh, So I think, yeah, I think there's, I can kind of relate to the feelings of inadequacy. Not, not in, I mean, you probably don't feel inadequate. Maybe I'm talking more for myself because I had this like kind of 
very naive background compared to so many very sophisticated or you know people that had very sophisticated backgrounds. So, but we're all here. So that's true. It's all, it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I have another very general question for you and I'm excited to see what you decide to do with it. Um, what are your thoughts on the, the trend towards women only recital and concert programs and, and festivals that, highlight female composers I, th- I think it's actually kind of fun i mean i kind of think of it as a like a girl's night out it could be anyway <laughs> i mean if you think yeah. of it that way where you get uh i've only been to one i went to she scores up in cleveland just last summer mm-hmm. um and um yeah it was pretty fun but uh there wasn't really much of a festival feel about it it was just sort of like there were concerts in the evening and i think that's just because people were working you know, but, um, but I guess, I, I guess it makes it feel sort of exclusive though. And so and that's kind of a, a question, but to be honest with you, I guess my preference would be for concerts or festivals, either one that don't even mix, don't even just do new music, but actually are a mix and do new and old music mm-hmm. because you know, otherwise it's, uh, there's all kind of ghettoization going on, but I don't know. I don't think it's bad to have festivals for just women. And I mean, I honestly, a lot of times these days, people are kind of bending backwards to program women and people of color and stuff like that, which is very nice, but I don't know. It's, it, I I would like to go to one where it's truly a festival sometime and just sort of hang, 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 you know, do the hanging out thing. I think that would be kind of fun. Do you think that it might be, you know, sort of a step towards integrating more female composers into festivals and programs so that it's not such a, as you, you know, you use the term ghettoization. Do you, do you see this as kind of a stepping stone towards more integration where it's not a big deal to program women because... Of course, everyone's everyone's just thinking about great music to program, and a lot of that includes women. Well, I would hope that would be the case, but I don't know how having festivals for women would actually make that happen, uh, unless it was some kind of big prestigious festival. I think it would be more just about people building confidence. No, oh, you know, yeah. let's get all of us like um, Streeter, Illinois people, New Lenox people <laughs> together, <laughs> and have a, and have a, you know have a con- yeah. or a, a, a festival. <laughs> Northern Illinois represent. That's a, <laughs> yeah. that's a that's a great perspective. I hadn't thought of it that way. But just getting a chance to be in a different kind of conversation and maybe a different kind of networking. Yeah, yeah. Huh. I mean, honestly, yeah, because I don't, I think, yeah, ultimately the goal would be hopefully to be integrated. And, and like I said, for me, it would be to have new and, you know, other music. But um, I realize not, you know, it could get really big, of course, but um, but I do think that there would be a real comfort in this kind of like other kind of festival where it's where it's not necessarily about career. It's about just connecting yeah, or making connections or somebody knows somebody who would, might be interested in something that could be nice, too, of course. But it would be about really about this kind of, yeah, girls night out thing. <laughs> yeah, well, that's beautiful. I like that. Well, we uh, we always like to round out our interviews with this favorite question of ours. What are three pieces that you're listening to right now? Okay. Well, the Bach Brandenburg Concertos. They're like my happy music. Mm. And uh, these, were you thinking I was going to say new music pieces? Sorry. No, I wasn't thinking uh, anything. Okay. I always love the surprises. The, this uh, 
person they're called personal songs oh what's the name of them the group is called larpeggiata honestly i can't remember the i can't remember the um the name of the cd but it's about you know music by purcell <laughs> and it's it's arranged in a jazz fashion huh. you know it's, I mean, it's a mixture of old music early music and jazz so um so it's just i find it really incredible yeah. um strangely enough i've played it for my students at ccm before i've played them the original um uh, uh aria from the dido and aeneas mm-hmm. and then i play them the version on the cd and they all like the first one better and i'm like wow you guys don't like this other <laughs> one and you know they even have a theorbo on it you know this beautiful mm-hmm. you know deep sound but then there's this jazz piano so i've been listening to that i always i mean those are like also happy pieces for me and then the beethoven string quartets the late ones mm-hmm. i really love those all kind of small music, right? <laughs> sort I guess of. so, yeah. Yeah. I think I am kind of a small music composer. So it was very nice of my friend, though, to ask me to write this orchestra piece. So, I, and it was, and it, it did end up being fun, but I did, I bored it for an entire year. That's why I'm like. Um, do you have a projected premiere of that piece? Is is anything scheduled for that? that we yeah. Can- yeah, it's going to be, a, it's the CCM Concert Orchestra. So the undergraduate orchestra, it's, um, I think it's just September of next year. I, I want to say the 29th, but I'm not sure. Oh, wow. That's coming up. Exciting. Yeah, right. I know. So I showed him the almost finished score, I guess, in November. And that's when he decided he would go ahead and schedule it. But oh, good. You know, I haven't given him the full score. I mean, I should be able to finish it by the end of next, or well, by next next week sometime. But then there's all that formatting you have to do. So yeah. who knows about that? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say the premiere sounds really exciting, but if there's formatting between you and the performance, I could see where there would still be some. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. But that's all right. That's kind of mindless. You know what I mean? Right. Well, it's not entirely, but it's a different brain part. So. Well, we'll look for that uh, hopefully on social media, maybe. Yeah. Maybe we'll share it or something. Okay. I'll, well, thank you. That's great. Well, this has been super fun. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Music Crush. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also support the podcast, read show notes, and learn more about FNMC by visiting www.flutenewmusicconsortium.com. Music Crush.